If you are a teacher, parent, administrator, student, and or anyone who loves reconnecting children with nature, and you want to figure out how to cultivate learning gardens and nature-based curriculum, then this is the podcast, the Outdoor Classrooms Podcast. My name is Victoria Hackett. I am the founder of OutdoorClassrooms.com and the Secret Gardens Nature Classes. I love witnessing the magic that happens when children are playfully learning outdoors, observing the return of wonder and curiosity. Curiosity when children are interacting with nature is pure magic. This is the podcast that is going to help you capture children's interest and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies that are going to help you figure out how to use the outdoor space, your outdoor space, as a teaching tool so you can enlighten the playful learning experience for young children. Welcome to our Outdoor Classrooms community. Did you know that Outdoor Classrooms improve children's emotional, intellectual, and behavioral development while helping foster the development of creativity, problem-solving, independence, and confidence? The problem is... Overwhelm, fear, and a lack of time can often make achieving any outdoor classroom vision into reality more trouble than it's worth. Did you know that we have a membership community at Outdoor Classrooms? It's the leading training community for educators and parents interested in cultivating outdoor classrooms and creating nature-based curriculum. It's a membership to support, collaborate, educate, and bring like-minded educators together. And it's packed with in-depth practice training and resources for all aspects of planning, running, and growing a sustainable outdoor classroom, plus the community support you need to ensure your teaching gardens achieve their full potential. It's happening! Today we are kicking off the launch of the new and improved Outdoor Classrooms website. We have spent close to a year working behind the scenes to make creating outdoor classrooms and nature-based curricula inspiring, fun, and easy for you. And now it's time to celebrate. So playful learning outdoors is not only possible in your outdoor classroom, it's necessary. So don't go it alone and join the Circle Membership Community. Now is the time because we are celebrating. For a limited time only, you can gain access to our entire hub of resources, which includes a new membership path, plus our live sessions. We have two live sessions plus an office hours each month, membership missions, so much more for only $20 a month. It's a deal, folks. I will leave the link in the show notes and you can check it out. So today we are also celebrating on the podcast with an interview with one of my heroes, Juliet Robertson. Juliet and I sat down virtually in 2020 at the Outdoor Classroom Summit. She has since graciously agreed to share this conversation that we had again on the podcast today. Juliet's work runs deep for so many natural teachers around the world as her books about her playful approach to outdoor learning for early years children are award winners. Juliet used to be one of Scotland's leading education consultants who specializes in outdoor learning and play. She worked at a national level delivering training, giving keynotes, speeches, leading and supporting innovative outdoor projects, and writing content for websites, documents, and case studies. She is passionate about enabling schools, play organizations, and early year settings to provide quality outdoor learning and play opportunities for children and young people. Prior to this, she was an elementary school principal. Juliet is the author of two award-winning books, Dirty Teaching, A Beginner's Guide to Learning Outdoors with Messy, messy Math, A Playful Outdoor Approach for Early Years. In addition, she provides lots of free resources and advice, which can be found on her website, www.creativestarlearning.co. UK. Without further ado, my hero, Juliet Robertson. Hello, hello. We are here with Juliet Robertson from the UK. Hello, Juliet. Hello. Lovely to see you, Victoria. I am thrilled that you have been a fan of mine for so long, and I've got your both your books here, Dirty Teaching and Messy Mass, with all of my, my notes. 
you're going to be bringing to life the gardens that for outdoor learning stations and specifically talking about math today. Yes, that's right. I thought it, there's so much that you can talk about to do with getting outside and being outside and learning there that these days you have to kind of narrow it down, which is really why we have a curriculum anyway, isn't it? Yeah, to yeah. help us manage the learning into bite-sized chunks. Just to get started, can you tell us about yourself and how you came to outdoor classrooms and and all that you do um absolutely so i began my career as uh well in fact let's go back to the fact that um when i was 16 i ran away from home to university (laughs) you can go much earlier in scotland i'm not particularly bright it's just the school system Um, and i was doing environmental science at university and I loved it I realized though that I didn't have any experience work experience so I took a gap year after two years to go and look at things to do with children and working outside to see what would interest me and of all the experiences that year it was the working with the children that most appealed Um, and in particular I spent a long summer volunteering at Norris Square neighborhood in Philadelphia, which at the time was an urban environmental education center for the Puerto Rican neighborhood within which I lived and worked. And that was very eye-opening because, of course, as you can imagine, there was a lot of um, violence. It was not a very happy neighborhood. And um, But what I did learn is that if we want change to happen, we are going to have to do it. We can't wait around for somebody else. And furthermore, if you've got no money, you can't let that stop you. So um, that was really where a lot of it started. And then after that, I became a primary teacher, then school principal. That's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about your your philosophy of working outdoors and, and how that came to be? Yes, I, it emerged over many years because one of the things is that when you are in the public school system, you work with children of all ages, abilities, backgrounds, and I was also very interested in the staff who were considerably stressed by the expectations, some of which were self-imposed and some of which were, which were imposed by the system. And I really wanted a different way of looking at the curriculum. I wanted a healthier and happier way. And you could almost say a lazier way. Can we work less but achieve more? Mm. Um, and I think the outdoors can help us do that so it's a different way of working but it's a much more positive way it's much healthier and it's much happier beautiful so just before we get into the the presentation about math how did your books come to be these beautiful incredible books how did you Uh, with dirty teaching is that right that yes so that was the first one they're published by Crown House Publishing, which is an independent publisher that specializes in education books. And I searched them out because I noticed that all their books were graphically very interesting. Mm. So in other words, you could tell that they cared about the presentation of the book. So uh, that's really how it, it happened. And I was part of an education consultancy firm that has ties with this particular book company. So a lot of the consultants already had books. So I didn't need to go and ask, hey, Mr. Publisher, can you let me publish <laughs> write a book um they came to me and said we you haven't got a book yet how about you write one yeah and it does um both books took two years from start to finish yeah i mean the the material you have is is like gold so oh thank you yeah it's really i love i love i have not seen another book like it so i really highly recommend it to our our community oh well dirty teaching in particular was was built um that so i wrote that whilst i was teaching and doing um, substitute teaching work and cover work around Aberdeen City for children from um, preschool all the way up to grade six. So that's why it's at that primary school level. And it just answers what I hope some of the concerns are Mm -hmm. that um, ordinary teachers have when you work outside with 30 children. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. people go, but you can't do that by yourself. And I'm going, oh, but you can. And it works <laughs> well. And this is how you do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's so awesome. Shall we get started with the math, talking about Ooh. math? And let's go to your presentation. 
We're going to be talking specifically about your your math outdoors. So I'm just going to have you take over. I'll, I will do the slides and we can talk as we go. All right. So I'd like to say hello to everybody. Um, thank you so much for um, being interested enough to join this presentation. It's based around my book, Messy Math. Um, my apologies in advance to all the American people listening in that I don't speak proper English. And oh. I had an S to my <laughs> act and things like that. But hopefully you will understand stand um, and, and be able to translate into to American English as opposed to British English. <laughs> okay. okay. This um, I'd just like to say for those of you who don't know me, I work in Scotland, which is um, the northern country within the United Kingdom, and I do a lot of behind the scenes work with the Scottish government and other national agencies to um, support learning and play outside. So this slide shows just some of the publications I've been involved in in the last eight or nine years okay but I, I should say Scotland values learning and play outside mm-hmm. and this is why we have so many outdoor documents there is a recognition because we have a country with a very poor health record mm-hmm. that we have to change what we are doing to ensure that our children are healthier and happier And the use of the outdoors is one of the ways of achieving this. All right. When I think about how to improve practice, particularly for those of you who are working within early years, I always say it's about the five R's, the rights of a child to learn, routines, resources. I talk about reimagining outdoor spaces because we never have a perfect space. I know you've got Rusty Keeler as part of this suite of interviews. And I would say if you want food to feed your dreams, you must watch his um, presentation. <laughs> but we, I, I like to reimagine if I can't redesign and recreate. And we'll talk about that later. Absolutely. Okay. I, yeah, I, I feel like everybody's outdoor space is different, but the elements can be similar. That's it. And I love concrete jungles. I love wild space. Both are mathematically beautiful and brilliant. And that yeah. is the, so, so you're on to a winner the moment you step outside. Okay. So I always say that every child has the right to learn math and that it's regardless of age, ability, their interests, their needs. The trick is that we don't focus on what they don't know. We focus upon what they build they we build upon what they can do and do know and that's always the starting point um and when it comes to developing if you think of a child that's in their mother's womb from the moment they are conceived there are mathematical experiences happening yeah. by the time a child is 12 seven weeks old within the womb their scent their hearing is being developed once you can start here hearing you can start hearing the rhythms and the patterns and the beats and the sounds and maths is all about patterns so therefore there is a start when by the that by the time children are born they already have experiences upon which further maths can build and grow and develop fascinating that's incredible so really thinking from the very beginning yes i work with a lot of teachers that are working with infants and toddlers and they sort of don't quite know what to do with them outdoors and they feel stuck yes and, and I, that's that's entirely understandable and i've i've been there myself but even simple things like um, opposites near far short long those sorts of everyday words come into our vocabulary and our experiences quite naturally we show one finger two finger we can gesture like that Mm. as we talk to children and we know that by the time babies are 12 months old many of them can subitize up to three objects that means that you can hold up three fingers mm. and they will recognize straight away that that represents the quantity of three what we have to be really careful is that we don't underestimate what our little children are capable of and a lot of it's just about practicalities it's not about writing the numerals or learning to add it's about having mathematical conversations in the simplest of forms talking for example about what is the same and what is different so you might if you're for example a child might see a daisy on the lawn and a dandelion and you can talk about what's the same oh look they're flowers Mm -hmm. they're both the same but the dandelion is bigger so it's different 
And there we have the basis of equivalence and transformation, the concepts that underpin everything in maths. Yeah, it's incredible how early it can start. That's it. So that's actually the the first one about a child in the womb. And you can see the quote there from the mathematician. Okay, all right. Just another little bit of research that's very useful for people who work with children of all ages. Haylock and Coburn have written several maths textbooks, more for teachers rather than for um, children. And they're great if you're feeling insecure about your maths understanding, or you just want to dig deeper around conceptual understanding and they say that math is all about these four things and making connections so children need concrete materials as Mm -hmm. you can see by the leaves and uh, on the the white cloth pictorial representations is taking those concrete materials and making them more visual do you see that the white cloth suddenly makes that those leaves and Mm -hmm. things look like a piece of paper so suddenly by using a white cloth outside we've bridged this concrete to visual Mm -hmm. bridge that needs to be crossed language is essential many of the problems that children have around maths are actually about understanding the language of maths mm-hmm. and not realizing that how many altogether is the same as add or how many more than is also means the same um, functional process. And last of all, symbols, recognizing the symbol for number one represents a mm-hmm. quantity or represents a particular place on a number line, that sort of thing. So that's really what our job is to do is to help children make those connections. It's brilliant. It brings it all together. Yes. And I think especially making it pictorial. I know so many children and adults that that are visual learners and need that pictorial. And I think even using the white cloth makes it really an outdoor classroom it transforms it into a learning space yes so if you look behind you can see this particular sheet is on a woodland floor now if we try to create that pictograph on the woodland floor we would not have seen the lineup of the leaves we would have struggled to have checked whether this was accurate or not so this is where again the use of a white cloth and Mm. that can be an old sheet that that you can pick up from a charity shop or that Mm. maybe has just worn out from your own collection so it looks really well and it was nice it wasn't my idea it comes from sweden where a lot of people use white cloth so where does it come from i'm sorry Sweden originally is where I saw it 10 years ago. Yes. Ah, Oh, great. So this is just building on on the research too. And if you see here, we've got my nephew who is using a big watering can to water the flowers. And children love big things to move and use. And they need that sort of embodied experience. Because if you don't lift big, heavy things, how do you understand the concept of big? or the concept of heavy and light, if you don't experience these yeah, things physically. Yeah. So that's good. Um, the use of scripts is is helpful too. So stories, songs, mm. and rhymes. Again, there's this inextricable link between literacy and math. And the more we, we make the most of that, the better. And we find that children who are comfortable singing rhymes and songs when they're three years old often have more, more mathematical confidence when they're seven eight nine years old Mm. and again we've already talked about the need to build on what you know and some people refer to that as using mathematical schema fascinating (laughs) i love the picture (laughs) i love this picture so this is from an outdoor preschool in liverpool liverpool is a city in the northwest of england Mm. Um, so this is actually a very very urban site but i love this as an example of how you can integrate maths into a a routine. So the children arrive, they hang up their backpacks, and straight away there's a pictorial, very simple timeline Mm. of now, next. Now that even precedes 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. So I love that, so that children can absolutely see what's happening and again that sequential story is also valuable for literacy understanding and understanding first then next as well so excellent 
And on the right-hand side is a personalized version of that. So that was done for one child, and the teacher had put sticky back to Velcro onto that stick, and then the cards are removed as the day goes by and the different activities are done. That's very interesting. So would that be for a certain student, or would that just be a different way of looking at it? I think you could do it either or. That killer model comes from the Wood School in Manchester and was done for a particular child. But you could you could use it with a class as well, particularly if you were mobile. So if you were on a hike, that's a much more sensible system to have, isn't right, it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just love, I love so much about this, how it's it's pictorial, it's action-packed, it's the now and the next, the different vocabulary that you're, they're using. Yes. It's, it's really, and it transforms that, just the woods, into sort of a classroom. Yes, this is it. But what's nice is that it doesn't detract from the woods themselves. Very often people wonder, do I have to set up what looks like a formal classroom within a woodland? No, you don't. You adapt what you already know to that woodland environment. Mm -hmm. So as you can see here, a little line between two trees suddenly becomes a washing line. Everyone's used a washing line for for, um, working with. So just just little tweaks like that are all that you do. And everybody has the capacity to use their knowledge and skills and apply it outside. Ah, this is fantastic. I love this too. from Ash Preschool. This one's from Fort William. And here I loved it because this is actually a a version in progress. So it started with the children's names that they would just hang up onto the nails. Mm -hmm. And I said when I visited, well, why don't you put numbers there? And then the children can put theirs on a number. And I was kind of hopeful, as was the team leader, that the children would put their numbers sequentially. But the children taught me a lesson there. Because, of course, when you're three... You're not interested in the number one. You probably want to put your name on number three because you might be three years old or Ah. four years old. You know, you might live at number 14. So the child might put their tag on number 14 or it could be that's their birth date or it could be that it's their favorite number. So even though we don't have the ordinality, that is the numbers going in sequence, what we have there is a discussion board about number so that when a parent comes with their child in the morning that quick discussion about what number it's our name's going to hang on today can be a really valuable way to sort of transition into a preschool ah it's brilliant and i love that it's it's open ended it's it's it leaves that openness where the child has control yes it w- feels like you're empowering the child to make their own choice yes and it's it's what i call informal friendly discussions about number cannot be underestimated. They are really important in terms of that familiarization in the way that we often have we conversations or we might tell each other little jokes. These You can have the same thing around math uh, as part of your, your everyday conversation. Yeah. That can just help children relax. It means that it's not a big issue learning about number. Yeah. It, it's enjoyable. Beautiful. It's really clever. That's it. Um, do you want to scroll on and just show the things that I've got? Look at so that. Pop them all up and I'll, I'll oh, okay. talk them. I think that's the easiest thing. I'm a big fan with routines around singing songs because um, we've already talked about the value of pattern and the link to music. But the other thing we need to remember is that it's also a non-standard unit of time. So if you're washing your hands and you sing a song, it's going to take you approximately, say it's happy birthday, that will take you approximately 15 seconds to sing Mm -hmm. happy birthday and to wash your hands, which is a very good thing to do. (laughs) Other things you can do, you know, to make sure that you've washed them for long enough and thoroughly enough. If you are transitioning, you may want to sing a song to signal that you're going for a walk, or you might have a special song for starting a walk. So I have ones like, we're all going to the wildlife garden. We can have gathering around songs. 
and gathering around songs. Some in, in dirty teaching, I talk about quick circles. Mm. Hey, grade five, come and make a quick circle and you count. But with younger children singing a song, come on, everybody, let's gather round. Come on, everybody, let's gather round. Come on, everybody, let's gather round. Let's all make a circle. Count, count the magic number. Count, count the magic number. Count, count the magic number. Is everybody here? And you just keep singing that and you all clap and move. And then once everybody's there, you can count and one and you can do it one to one correspondence. So one tap per child and we all count aloud together. And we always, always count aloud together so that if a child doesn't know their number, they're not made to feel silly or stupid because they don't know it. They're just part of the group saying the numbers aloud. And then you can get out a little card and you can write the number on. And if you remember to include the adults, then suddenly you're doing addition and subtraction. So we might have 15 children plus uh-huh. three adults. So let's count on three, 16, 17, 18. Show that with the fingers. I wonder if anyone can find the number 18 on my magic number chart. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So let's put a circle around that. And that's our magic number today. And that's it integrated into a routine. When when we check we've got outdoor clothing on it's a very simple check and it goes by the heads shoulders knees and toes do you have that song yes okay. <laughs> you, you, you get children to look at each other and say heads let's do a head check have we got a hat or a hood have we got a shoulder check have we all got a jacket on do we need it zipped up or not what about our knees do we have our knees covered with waterproof pants and then toes do we have good strong boots over our toes so that they're kept warm today and that's it oh oh, i'm gonna steal that one that's brilliant I mean, I got it from a lovely person called Marion Cairns. So as usual, we always have um, people who inspire us and give us ideas. Oh. They point in education, isn't it? It's wonderful. I love it. Just sort of how it weaves and adapts and shifts. and That's it. To check where a child is, I, I do a lot when I work outside, particularly with little children, about making sure adults feel comfortable and aren't worried about losing children so we cover a lot of things around that and one of the things I ask them to do is to rather than put a call out say they can't see a child called Jamie rather than go Jamie Jamie has anyone seen Jamie and you get that panic going into your voice Mm -hmm. you can walk around going where oh where is Jamie where oh where is Jamie 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 where are you and then when you hear somebody singing that and other adults can pick up and then they can all have a quick look too but that keeps the panic down (laughs) and what it does mean is then you can teach children to respond when they hear that song being sung does anyone know where that child is and it it can just be done in a calm way and then your other procedures can kick in if jamie doesn't um say here i am here i am and that sort of well so here it's very simple this was an idea from a math consultant called peter patilla who reckoned that children who lived in single story houses Mm. were mathematically disadvantaged because he said just teach children when you walk up steps you count forwards and you walk down steps you count backwards as simple as that and it's a very nice thing to get into the habit of doing because you do you need to be able to count both ways don't you you need to be able to be to start on numbers other than zero so being able to start on the number three and count forwards or start on the number three and count backwards that sort of thing it's such a beautiful visual as well to, to think about steps and where you can paint numbers and add add math everywhere that's it it's a great i love Brilliant. this picture too <laughs> So but what I like about this is that that's an old library trolley being oh. used for the gum boots there. So it, it's nothing special, but just you can see how well this teacher has done it with a visual and a, a language cue. But if you look, there's some purple boots on the second tr- um, level up and one, two, three, four pairs in. So you can give cues like that to help children find their boots. Oh. And that's the mathematical cue. And you can count in pairs. You can talk about the attributes. And again, you could go back to similarities and differences even between the boots because obviously there's numbers. But you can also then challenge the children to say, well, I wonder what else 
is similar about your boots? And then it might be they're the same size or the same length or the fact that they both make a similar size splash when you jump in a puddle. So oh. All sorts of things like that where you can just bring mathematical conversations in all around the use of the boot. Yes. Very clever and so simple. I love how there's the, the visual picture of identifying where your boot goes. Yes. And it looks yes. like some of the boots on the higher level are larger because maybe those students are a little bit taller. They, yeah, you know something. I think you're absolutely right there. I, that would make sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So we're, we're moving now on to resources and things like that. Mm. And one of the things I always say is that we need to be very intentional and know why we have resources that we do. And even if we're in a woodland, we need to know the learning value of the leaves, of the cone, of mm. the environment itself. But I loved this from Sarah Lazarovich from Long Live Irony, and she called it the hierarchy of needs. And she's mm. been very generous about allowing this to be used by people like me. And you can see here, just use what you've got, borrow swapped and things like that and it just makes such good sense and the other thing I always say is that we've got loads of materials indoors that yeah. may not be perfect but can be retired outdoors yeah. once they've passed their working life inside so I have things like um little plastic counters that are great for just highlighting key things outside and you know you can do things like oh I wonder if anyone can find any of these yellow counters and see why I've put them where I have outside and it could be that I've placed them beside objects in pairs mm. or things metrical or things that are all big but the children can then have a sort of instant trail to work out what the mathematics is behind that oh and this is also brilliant too bread crates yes so this is an example now i would never do this and i haven't done it for everything but what i say is really good is to take a minute and it's really good to do this with a friend and to brainstorm um, where's the math in that object so we've got mm -hmm. bread crates here and this was a two minute brainstorm and you can see here how high so we're now talking about measurement now we're talking about stacking which is a property of three-dimensional objects we're singing songs and rhymes to develop vocabulary we're talking about posting things through the holes in the bread crates so that's understanding the size of one object in relation to the size of the holes in the crate we're understanding therefore about rotating or pushing and these are geometric transformations we might look at time-based challenges about the speed things can mm. drop and the strategies we might discover how much space we take up which again is essential for understanding geometry is is that understanding of where we are in relation to everything and where objects are in relation to other things as well patterns are essential um, you can weave in and out and through and learn the language of prepositions. And of course, things need to be stacked and packed. So suddenly that's just a very quick brainstorm using bread crates. Wow. And just looking at them. That's it. You now go out and say, so I've got bread crates, but outside I've got cones that I'm using, pine cones. Mm. We also have hoses and tubes. We might have a pump that a child uses mm. to pump up water. You can look at anything you've got. You've got those wooden boxes and in front of the you can just brainstorm some of the ideas and what then it makes it very clear is that there really is maths in everyday object and would you brainstorm would you would that be an activity that you do with children you would have them put that in a circle and say okay let's brainstorm all the different things you see it takes practice. I wouldn't do that with children under the age of four. I, I just think they, they really just need to play and be doing things. But I know teachers who've taken things like little tires outside mm -hmm. and they've invited interested children. And I think that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. You need to get children who want to do this. I would love people to come and help me play with these tires and then help me think about where's the maths in that. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start getting children having mathematical conversations, but they really need to opt in rather than be forced in. But once children have done that a couple of times and they're playing around and they're saying, hey, hey, Juliet, I've stacked up five in a row here. Or, hey, Juliet, have you seen how far my tire rolls here? And you can say, oh, I wonder if we could measure it and how many steps that might take. Then we can start building in the math and the children start seeing the relevance of maths to the play that they're doing. So it's really, that's the essence 
terms of where the play comes in. Yes. Is, is the play and the language and it's, it's non-threatening and then that can then really following the child and where the child takes that. That's it. And this again goes back to the fact that your three and four year olds will surprise you. And by the time they get to five and six, they will really be lifting their learning. So it's, it's a very good way of establishing just what children do and don't know. So if you know that a child notices how far a tire has rolled and the measurement, so it could be that one time you're looking at measuring that instead, then you might learn to place one foot in front of another so that that develops more accurate ways of measuring. Then at some point, you might realize that in order to get an accurate measurement, it might be better, in fact, to use a tape measure. Again, you can do that with time as well. You know, you might start by singing a song, then you might use a sand timer, then you might use a stopwatch, then you might use a digital stopwatch, then you might do a countdown clock, then somebody might be jumping and up and down and seeing how many jumps it takes for the tire to roll so again you've got this ongoing dance I would say of mathematical possibilities Mm. around all that children do and that's why for me I don't worry about following a program if because I know my math I took time to learn about the math and therefore I have the courage to be able to follow a child's lead okay here's one for you Victoria all right. Is, is this OK for me to, to ask you here? Why do you think I, this is a collection of clothes peg? Now, in, in Britain, there is a move towards having no plastic, but just having wooden and natural items. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that from a sustainability point of view. But I want you to think you can see there's two wooden clothes pegs, you know, or four, two pairs of wooden clothes pegs in the center of that picture. Why, though, do you think such a diverse collection of pegs would be of greater value mathematically? Well, I think the shapes are different. Great. I think that the colors are different. I think that they, it speaks to not everything's the same, that there might be a push that we want it one certain way, but that's not the way the world is. We're very, very, all children are diverse. We're all different colors and shapes and sizes. And I think that might be what this represents. Although, yeah. It's not a test question. It's exactly that. You were reasoning and making decisions. And I thought it was interesting that you did start talking about what is the same and what is different Mm -hmm. and that comparing. And you also talked about attributes like color, size, shape. And those go on. We've got ones with springs, ones without springs, some that are old, some that look more new, some that are slightly broken, some that aren't. So and if you if you were able to hold them, some of them would have different strengths. So some would be easier to open and some would be more difficult. So mathematically, it's very important not to judge the learning value of a resource by the material from which it's made. We're all shying away from plastic. Yes. Whereas I think there's something to be said about asking families do you have any clothes pegs and would you be willing to donate two to our class collection? Mm -hmm. And then imagine that because each child then has something personal. There's, There's endless things to talk about. But furthermore, when you are using the clothes pegs, maybe to hang things up, maybe to make forts and ends using fabrics. Mm. Every time a child goes to use that collection, they have to make a decision which peg do I use and why? We've suddenly lifted the learning. We've got decision-making and problem-solving built in here as well. So again, we just need to be very careful and know the intentionality of everything that we've got resource-wise. Okay? And these are just fun things. Now, there is a lovely shed here on the left. Can I just say that's a fake shed? It's, um, it's a, I mean, you can buy them, they're great sheds, but the, no, no teacher has a beautifully laid out shed like that. Okay. 
just a demonstration. I want to reassure people it's a Pinterest perfect sort of shed. And Cozy are great and they sell lots of lovely things. But that's one thing is that you might have if you're a preschool or kindergarten teacher, you may want mathematical resources in one area. Upper high, the blue and the yellow bags, those are bags that children can carry out because you may be in a situation where you have to set up an outdoor space from scratch. And lastly, my top tip is always use suitcases because children love to wheel them. So they work really well in their the play. And there is something magic about unzipping a suitcase and uh, seeing what's inside. Yes. I talk a lot about curriculum on the go kit. Yay. That's, that's excellent. Yes. Yeah. So it's a packing up a theme or, you know, it's not the first aid kit. It's, it's these kits on the top here. Use recycled kits and create a theme and put it in your kit and you're off, off and running. That's it. And that's just, and, and that's what good teachers do. They organize their resources and yeah. it's exactly the same outside. And I always say to people, you know, your, your outdoor space, whether that's a wood or a concrete jungle, is your third classroom or your second classroom. So tr- treat it like that put your resources in a place where you can access them and the children can you know think about how everything is laid out so that the children you maximize the learning but also the independence of the children so whether it's a a setup system or whether it's a grab and go you know as you say curriculum on the go system both have their value i love this too sticks there's so much to do with sticks that i've learned from you Well, I'd like to quote a friend called Vanessa White, who talks about that's not a stick. That's the world's best interactive learning device, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is very funny. And I love this. This is actually from another friend, Linda. And she's brilliant about getting her parents and families to their homework is things like, yeah, can you find 20 sticks or can you find 10 sticks and bring them into school? And then you create collections of sticks that, again, have meaning and purpose to the children who've brought them in. I've never seen them organized this way. I know. She's very organized. So is that maybe a Velcro around the stick? Yes, it is. No, I think this is ribbon. A ribbon? Yes, I think that she's used ribbon here. And I think those are bundles of 20 and that represents 100. <gasps> That's just brilliant. That's- Isn't it? So there and then in front of children's eyes, there's a daily reminder that that's what 100 looks like in terms right. of... Now, do they interact with it? Do they take it and play with it and then put it back, do you think? I, I don't know. More of a visual. I think it's that particular one is probably more of a visual. Yeah. The reason why I'm saying that, and I don't know whether I have another slide from Linda's nursery or not, but certainly she has a construction area, and the construction area has a box of sticks. Yeah. So I suspect that's to re- that's a display to represent a hundred because she has a box of sticks elsewhere outside. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's then yeah. your robust resources. That's it. You know, and one of the things I try and say to people is that it, it's really possible to go outside and not to have to laminate things. And that sometimes once you leave the laminating machine switched off, your creativity or other thinking machines come on. And I loved this example. This was a lining up space mm. at um, Mind Stretchers, one of the Mind Stretchers um, nature kindergartens in Scotland um, that Claire Warden set up. The yeah. number two is missing, but that was a place where the children would line up. And they oh. knew that because the, the numbers were in line. Oh, how clever. I've yeah. done it on steps, but that would be even neater to, to do it as a, as a lineup. That's so fun to see what other people do. It is. And this is just a range of different spaces to show people the, the possibilities. So I love beaches because it's just like one great big interactive whiteboard, isn't it? You can, <laughs> you can, you can draw away, rub it out and that sort of thing. So, you know, regardless of the area of the curriculum you're focusing on or just for play, it works great. And always when I look at spaces, 
I always just, I just do that brainstorm. Well, where's the maths in here? Well, look at the cylinders. Look at the fact that we've got three-dimensional objects. Look at the fact that for some reason there's two numbers up. I've no idea why there's a five and a six up there, but maybe yeah. the other numbers are elsewhere. The bottom one is from one school that I worked in for a couple of years, and I always use this space as the starting point for a lot of activities, and then we would move on to the natural spaces round about the school but that was more or less my starting point for mathematical investigations you know because straight away again you can see the lines there's right there's different angles there's curves and straight lines so we would just use that as a basic starting point it is now that is the actual tarp that's in the book and these days it's looking a bit sadder because (laughs) some of the um, duct tape has peeled off and I'm replacing it with yellow duct tape it's nice I don't recommend it but now that I've started the the tidy gene within me wants it all the same but if if you make these and there is a blog post on my website about this the trick is is to put your objects on and to draw around them and then you put your duct tape on before you cut out and then you won't get sticky edges and I love it how you how it you've got the sticks on top and that's creating some shadow of measurement and angles and also there's so much that you can play and talk about here right yes I think this is I mean shadows are very interesting anyway and this just happens to be at, at the right time of day where the the image of the sh- the shadow image is almost perfect size-wise to the tarp. Yeah, but you can see there the addition even of some sticks will totally change the conversations yeah. that children have. And all you need is one invitation, like, like one stick, and suddenly you, you've created two extra shapes within that shape. And suddenly children are off discussing the possibilities yes and I, so tom bedard i i learned from him about him through you and i yes. feel like i went on my own research crusade incredible resource so why don't you explain him and what you how you've adapted him to the outdoor classroom okay so tom bedard is an early years educator from minnesota and he writes a blog called sand and water tables tom sensori um, blogspot And it is just full of simple ideas about what you can do at a sand and water tray. And on the right-hand side of his blog in the column, he talks about his axioms of play and his design elements. And that is what inspired me because Tom didn't have any outdoor space. And there he was being very creative. And I looked at his thinking it was all about cardboard boxes and feeding stuff that, you know, you scoops and things like that. And then I suddenly realized that was like a decoy. You had to ignore the cardboard boxes, focus on his advice on the other side, which says when you set up a space for children, and this is why we are imagining outdoor spaces, because it's about your levels. And Tom says, put, have you got things at ground level mid-level and stretch level high up and you can see here there's a splash pool so this is a tarp that's been wrapped around a tire to create a tiny splash pool here for water to be transported we've got the middle level which is your water table and then at your stretch level what you've got is you can see just to the left that there's some guttering and hose pipes which are quite high and you've also got the sheet tom then also says you need things that are vertical and horizontal and on inclines so again you can see a crystal tube at an incline the bright orange material is at an incline so we've added those in and we're making the most of the fence as the vertical surface to hold things on and what I've also done is above which you can't see because it was too high up there was some overhanging rafters so that's where I threw the jug over that to create a (laughs) pendulum 
because I thought we need to make a mathematical experience here that's really interesting and to get the children at that nursery interested and you can see they're measuring jugs so we've got the environmental mathematical prints there going on I simply filled up one at the jug that was in on the pulley pendulum and then I just I just went and I just started um, swinging it towards the orange sheet and of course the water would splash out and, and run down I only needed to do that twice before there was about 10 children over there all exploring oh my goodness that must have been I just hear the laughter oh the the joy of those children that kept children engaged for another hour and a half after that without any intervention or further provocations from me and that's what I do when I set up any outdoor space I apply Tom's principles what have I got at ground level what have I got at mid level what's up at stretch and I can tell you now the settings and the nurseries that are struggling generally they've got everything at table height and and they might have one or two things at ground floor but very rarely are they thinking up high because they they usually aren't making the most of their fences so this is the same place you can see that same water tray and this was in the afternoon because the afternoon session started and well those children weren't remotely interested in that orange material or that pulley or anything like that so I just sat there now this corrugated PVC was a bit of scrap material I had from putting a porch on the back of my house and so I sat there and I started to fix it and of course if you if you sit there fixing something there's always going to be children who can't help but notice and eventually they have to come up and find out what you're up to and you just say oh I'm fixing this I thought it might be good for the water table what do you think and they usually join in and so they help you fix the things and you can see we attached it now this is where I was clever see it's it's clear gut duct tape that it's attached to the fence with that's how it's attached and I thought it's not going to work because of course the rills are going horizontally vertically didn't make a difference the children got just as much engagement we had loads of talk about how the water moved how much water was needed whether or not it would all go back into the table that sort of thing So again, it was a very different experience. And furthermore, it's very surreal when you go behind and underneath and you experience water being chucked at the PVC, but you don't get wet yourself. So again, we've got lots of sensory processing going on there for children. Again, it's just a broader experience of math. That's using the fence. That's it. So here's another nursery near where I lived, and I was supporting them to develop their outdoor play. Now, often people worry about progression, but how are you progressing their learning is a key worry. So I can just use this often to illustrate. So again, if you look here, you can see what's on the ground level. Again, you can see there's the two splash tires and then there's two planters that catch the water coming off one of the water tray water walls. We've then got surfaces at mid-level, which is the water tray table, sorry, water tray um, table. And then up high, we've got the water canisters, which are the main source of water. Um, the, the water bus had a little water in, but not that much. So straight away, we've got our different levels. We've got our incline with the water ramp leading into the tire on the left. And we've also got inclines against the water with the guttering attached. The guttering on the left hand by the wooden frame is attached using velcro that means i as an educator can move and change that around if needed but it's fairly fixed for little children who want who need that repetition and exploration the orange bucket has a little spindle so it does brilliant cause and effect for your two-year-olds the three-year-olds like to often use the the static black and they're just the transporting and then for those who are much more able on the right hand side you can see some white guttering that is on a DIY water tarp water wall tarp that the children made themselves using mallets and snap and tap eyelets and then use ball bungees to thread through and the children make their own water wall there and you can see the choice of guttering that they have that's there to help them and do you see how again all the guttering is different going for that principle of diversity so that again the children have to make the decision which bit of guttering is going to best fit 
for what I want to do here. Incredible. So there we go. That's just there, it is. there it is. Yeah. Um, using Tom Bedard and here's that's it. And here's another example. This is from an outdoor nursery, Stromash at Fort William. Now on the left hand side, this is a uh, we call this the field of dreams because it was a flat <laughs> field and then it's just been built from scratch with mostly community donations. But on the left hand side, do you see there's an upright pallet with two tall fence posts? child to use that water wall they have to climb up that pallet the water to pour it into the milk container at the top wow very challenging absolutely yeah and here we go and i always say you can't develop everything outside all in one go so go for just pick something like your your sand tray and say where's the maths and that what are the children doing there so for example we've got the child here who clearly likes filling up. Now, that's an exploration of volume and capacity, okay? So if, if she tips it upside down, she's then exploring three-dimensional objects. If she flattens it down, then she's dis- she's looking at how things are created and flattened and that's and that malleable property of um sand so again we've got a lot going on there and you could say well where's the math and that well hey suddenly if we make sure that the containers are of different sizes we're extending the learning in fact we could even offer sizes where each one is one holds exactly one pint but they're all different sizes you know, or a quarter of a gallon. Another concept of, I think teachers get overwhelmed with there's so many different spaces or there's so much to do, but to really look at one area at a time, I think yes. it's taking it like your book, the way you designed your books was taking it in bite sizes. Yes. And until teachers get confidence because not all teachers feel comfortable teaching outdoors. To take it yes. one bite size at a time, I think is, is brilliant. Yes. I do actually have a handout. I could email it to you, Victoria, for anyone oh, who wanted great. it. Yeah. I, and it's called Math in the Sand Tray. And I've just given ideas about involving children. And, you know, if you see children burying objects, then here's some mathematical things that can arise from that. If you see children sculpting, here's some mathematical possibilities. Well, wonderful. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so I'll send that through and then that that might be useful if, if you know you want to make it available to others. Terrific. Thank you very much. Not at all. Again, look at that. So a weaving frame in and out. You've got it as a mathematical grid. So lots of possibilities there. And the two stumps, I think are two sticks. I think they're old Christmas trees. Oh, yeah. This is many years ago in a Swedish outdoor preschool. And, and I always say things like that great for conversations because you can decorate that tree so it could be that one day you put pairs of objects on there the next day everything's red and you can start children can start working out what's the mathematics on this tree and once they start getting the idea of that then they can start decorating the tree themselves for others to guess what the mathematical connection is. It's so, what I love about it, it's so simple and the materials that you, it's not like you're spending a lot of money. No, that's it. And again, if you do want numbers outside, just make them temporary. I loved this example from one preschool in Derby. And you can see that the numbers on the trikes and the bicycles match the numbers on the side of the container. So it's a parking bay. So rather than just having random numbers up, which have no sense, no relevance, and there suddenly is the purpose for having those numbers there, they're parking bays. Oh, and, it, I'm, and I can imagine how that makes them feel very accomplished. That's it. That they're, yes. that they're matching, and, and I love That's this too. <laughs> oh, isn't it brilliant? So this was also Stramash Fort William, and they have open afternoons for new children to come and look around with their parents. Mm-hmm. And one year they decided to create signs to direct all the visitors to different parts of, of their field of dreams. And as you can see, Lucy wanted to people to know that from that side you need to do 40 of her skips to get to the <laughs> toilet okay. there was actually a lot of the signs led to the toilets <laughs> oh, 
it's so great. Yeah, so on the left side, you can see the children here and they're balancing. And balancing is a core part of learning about mass and weight. And on the right side, you can see the child actually looking at the measurement on the container. And you know when a child is ready to talk about that, when you see them looking and they start asking, What's, what are the numbers here for? And that's when you know they're ready for that conversation. And this is just um, a, a key point. Um, we need to pass on our love of numbers mm. to our children, regardless of our own experiences. And you find that these statements are limiting statements. And one of the big things we know, and Joe Bowler has written a whole book about mathematical mindsets. One of the things we have to do is ensure that we have a growth mindset and a, the right sort of attitude when we interact with children over math. Math in your pocket. I remember this picture too. There's yes. the, the white cloth again. That's it. And you can see how beautiful it is. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the pattern here is what we call a tens frame. And it's a very good layout for children to help them understand different concepts. So, for example, if you have four stones and you put them in one in each of the boxes, it's very easy to work out that there's six spare, spare boxes. So it's really good about number complements to mm. 10. And so just a very, very useful resource for playing games and things with. And that's something I always say is that folds up into your pocket and you can have other little resources that just like a one minute sand timer, you can get little pocket sized ones you can carry sammy the one meter rope snake in your pocket in case he needs to come out to do any mathematical measuring that sort of thing i always have a coin in my pocket so that if we need to make a decision we can flip the coin and if it lands heads we go right or we or somebody else has one turn and if it's left then the other thing happens or if it's tails you know so again you can do stuff like that it would be fun to be your student <laughs> Well, I think this is an, another thing I like to advocate too, is we have to be careful not to teach children tricks. You can teach a three-year-old to tell the time. And by that, you could take a clock like this and they could quickly learn that you keep the one, the big hand at the 12, when the other hand, um, little hands at the one, it's one o'clock. When it's at the three, it's three o'clock. But then you can turn around to the child who's three and say, so if you had breakfast at eight o'clock and then you have your lunch at um, one o'clock, how many hours later was that? Mm. That three-year-old won't know because they have no concept understanding so therefore don't teach children tricks like that because you're not helping them you're better off ensuring that you start at a place where they see the relevance of the clock in their lives so for example one of my memories of being three is and being at home is that I knew I was allowed to snack at 11 o'clock so I learned to tell the time because I knew at 11 o'clock I would get snacks so that makes it relevant and purposeful and things like that there is just a, a, a trick of random hoops and clocks right wasting time. and they'll end up hating it that's it that's it just a wee sort of note and I'm always happy for people to visit my website and as I say I'll I'll make sure I'll send over the link or the maths in the sandpit stuff for you so that again if that's useful to participants that can be part of the a presentation if that helps oh that too. would be yay so thank yay. you for that was incredible so just a few more questions before we before we leave what do you love most about your work i love it when teachers and early years educators come to me and show me photos or talk about things that they have done as a result of one of my workshops oh. and then they, and especially when they've done it far better than i imagined it <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like that's incredible and that's that to me is the moment of magic yeah. because I, if I work with 30 children then I've, I've inspired 30 children to love maths right. but if I work with 30 educators then I've inspired 900 children to love yeah. math. So for me, and even if just three of those educators go on, that's still 90. That's still three times more. What yeah. are your greatest challenges? I think there is an unsaid assumption that real learning happens inside and that stuff outside is all fluffy, is jazz hands 
Jazz hands learning is is just a side addition. People have to understand that this is a better way of learning many different maths concepts. And it's creative and it's practical and the children like it. But we the, the default assumption is that real learning happens inside and it happens at a table. It's misinformed, it's misguided, and it is reinforced worldwide um, by 99.9% of the population. That's the frustrating thing. So I could probably guess what this is, but what would advice would you give to both teachers and parents in terms of being outdoors and what you do? I, I just think um, don't be afraid to learn with your child. Mistakes are good because we learn through our mistake. You're never going to get things right all the time. If you're looking for ideas, of course, there's my books. There's yeah. your website, you know, and I think your work too, Victoria, has to be flagged up here. It is great. And there's even more. There's If you go onto Amazon now, we're beginning to see many more books to support mm-hmm. maths outside yeah. and more creative and practical ways of teaching math. That's lovely, isn't Absolutely. it? So where can we find you again? Just I, I, I have to say your 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 blog post and your website are a, a wealth of resource. So can you share where we again you have your books and yeah. you'll share your resources? Okay, so I have a website called Creative Star Learning dot co dot uk or the blog title is i'm a teacher get me outside here and when you go on there's 700 blog posts and on the right hand side you'll see lots of pretty pictures in the column things like math outdoors literacy outdoors that sort of thing and it's all free to go and have a look so that's nice too because yeah. I've I've been skint for most of my life I've you know and I know what it's like not to have money and and be overwhelmed by what you feel you have to get and to have a resource that's free to access is always really nice too wonderful well I can't thank you enough this has been just wonderful so thank you for coming thank you for joining us here at the outdoor classrooms podcast if you enjoyed this episode please share it with anybody who you think would enjoy it and follow us on Instagram. We'd love to continue the conversation. If you want to continue the conversation even deeper, please join us in the Circle community. The purpose of the Circle is to support, guide, and push you as you continually grow and sustain your outdoor classroom by providing the tools to help you set the right goals then actually follow through in achieving those goals with the support of our amazing community. Each month, 24-7, you get guidance and support from myself. You get to begin your journey with our new member roadmap. You get access to our outdoor teaching boot camp. You get to interact and learn from guest experts who are on our podcast. They come into our membership and join us to continue the conversations. You get to connect and collaborate during two live sessions a month. You get access to all our online workshops and masterclasses. You get get to dig deeper with our membership missions each month and you get to become an ambassador of joy for children. I hope you can join us for the price of one workshop. You get all of this. You get to become a member of our family at Outdoor Classroom. So I hope you can join us. I will share the link in the show notes and we'll see you later. Come join us.